Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, June 29th, 2020. Happy July 4th to everyone. On the show today, I stay in a hotel and I eat in a restaurant. And in our main segment, Jim finishes up the story of the Walt Disney World Wedding Pavilion. Let's get started by bringing in the man who doubts that everybody was kung fu fighting. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Look, Len, I was there. I distinctly saw a guy in the back doing a keto. There was a guy over there doing jujitsu. Yeah, I mean, let's, we have to be precise when we're talking about the martial arts, right? That's it, exactly. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Jim, 10 straight weeks with a record number of Bandcamp subscribers. Guys, thank you very much. Now, Jim and I know exactly how Celine Dion feels every day when she wakes up. Also, Jim... <laughs> We've just released three Bandcamp exclusive shows that are walkarounds for Disney's Magic Kingdom resorts during the first couple of days that they reopened. Have you had a chance to listen to those? I, I have. I've listened to the first one, and, and I have to admit that moment where you encountered the the flock of turkey buzzards as you were walking around. <laughs> it was disturbing, man. <laughs> well, that was the thing. It just sort of, you know, you actually say as part of the podcast, if this <laughs> this ends suddenly, you know, <laughs> there's a reason, folks. So um, when you uh, when you get to the Grand Floridian one, I actually squeal with delight when I find. The, the new walkway that Disney's built uh, at the Grand Floridian to the Magic Kingdom. Like part of it's actually in place. And I go school, school girl crush on some concrete. You got to listen to it. It's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> Cannot wait. <laughs> it's great. Anyway, thanks to new subscribers, Lisa A, Amy H, and Rordnik. And long time subscribers, Jim S, MCJ Superstar, and Paradise Found Jim these are the folks who are responsible for ensuring that everything is ready for reopening at Trader Sam's Tiki Bar in Walt Disney World. So for the last couple of weeks, they've been ordering shipwrecks on the rocks to make sure that the ship in a bottle sinks, the Krakatoa punch to make sure the volcano effect works, and the Nautilus to make sure the bartenders still know where to find their snorkeling gear. Also, it's Lisa's job to make sure that all the bar seats still go up and down unexpectedly. She's a highly trained specialist. True story, Jim. True story. And speaking of true stories, I've never managed to actually make it inside of Trader Sam's at Walt <laughs> Disney World. <laughs> you should I, visit Walt Disney World, Jim. It's it's a fun place. You should go. I, I know, but it's just but the, every time I go, it's like, oh, well, you can go out on the patio and you can have a yeah. beverage, but you can't be inside here with the cool people. So, you know, that's that's my goal someday to, to be inside and see what all the fuss is about. I was just at the poly yesterday. It's not uh, not open yet, but I'm looking forward to the day that it is. Okay. You and me both, Len. You and me both. So, both of us, exactly. All right, Jim, on to the news. Uh, so uh, a little bit of uh, bad news here. Disneyland decides to stay closed until further notice. So we got word yesterday, uh, June 24th, Wednesday, that Disneyland has decided not to reopen. They were scheduled to reopen on the 17th of July, uh, and that is now delayed indefinitely. Also, the hotels reopenings have been delayed, but downtown Disney is still scheduled to reopen, so the shops and the restaurants on July 9th. Yeah, this is largely because of the state of California isn't supposed to decide about the reopening of theme parks till what is it July 4th uh, right. or at least that's you know the the way Disney framed the press release that went out there and they just said that they can't in good faith given that this is still up in the air be calling right. employees back to begin training and and that sort of thing without knowing for sure uh, whether they're not going to reopen so yeah they've sort of kicked the can down the road a bit i 
I guess what's ironic is if you remember back in March, there was that, that morning where Disney has actually gotten special dispensation from Governor Newsom. To uh, stay open, right. To stay open. But in the end, they decided, nah, that's that's the wrong thing to do. And they voluntarily closed. So I, th- I think there something something happened behind the scenes here because you and I both know, Jim, mm-hmm. Disney is not going to announce the reopening of a park unless they are completely coordinated with the state of California's uh, government, right? And that includes Governor Newsom, right? Mm-hmm. So they they had the governor's either explicit or implicit blessing to reopen when they announced it, 100% guaranteed, without a yeah. doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so something something happening. And obviously, the, the number of cases is going up around the U.S., especially in California. So I think that's what uh, that's what's driving this. Yeah. Are they cool. are they using the the government explicit uh, or lack of explicit okay to pause the reopening? Probably, yeah, that's the cover story, but we all understand why they're doing it. No, I get that. I do. You know, but this time last week, a bunch of the trade unions that work at Disneyland, which represent 11,000 of the cast members, sent a letter directly to Governor Newsom to the effect of, I don't think it's a good idea to be rushing the opening of Disneyland. So right. um, got to wonder if that factored in here somehow. It may have. Uh, mm-hmm. And the same thing is happening in uh, Walt Disney World uh, mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Speaking of Walt, Walt Disney World, uh, the Walt Disney World re- uh, Park Reservation System opened up on Monday, June 22nd. And we, we did a, a quick highlight show about this, Jim. But mm-hmm. in the meantime, since we did that show, I note that uh, reservations at the Animal Kingdom are now gone for July 12th, 13th, and 14th, and for Hollywood Studios at the 15th, 16th, 17th, and 18th. What do you make of this, Jim? That tells me Pandora is still popular. Likewise, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rise of the Resistance without a, a virtual queue, without boarding groups. Yeah, that's, again, another thing I haven't gotten on yet. <laughs> you should should really visit Florida sometime. I know, I, get, I have to get around to this at some point. So, so I've, done some, uh, I've done some math here, Jim, trying to figure out. Uh, so we're recording this on, on Thursday, June 25th. It's the day before annual pass holders mm-hmm. get access to the park reservation system. And three days before, those with dated tickets get access mm-hmm. to the system. And the big question that I've been asked is, has Disney reserved some park capacity? for each of those other two groups? And I think the answer is no. Uh, And that is, I think the Animal Kingdom is actually sold out for those days and the Hollywood Studios is sold out for those days. And here's what I'm using. And folks, there's going to be a little bit of math here, but bear with me. So Jim, you remember when Shanghai first opened, we got some information from Disney that we wouldn't normally get. And the first piece of information they gave us was the actual park capacity was 80,000 people, right? Okay. And then the government of Shanghai said that they were going to permit Disney to open at a level of 25% of capacity, which would be 20,000 people. But Disney was going to stay far, far under that. And I believe the rumor that we heard was they actually opened at 10% of park capacity or 8,000 people, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's use that 10% for Walt Disney World, all right? So that means on July 11th, when the Magic Kingdom opens, there are 9,000 reservations available. And that means for the Animal Kingdom, when it opens on July 11th, somewhere between 5,000 and 6,000 slots available. For the studios, I think the maximum capacity of the park is 60,000. So again, 6,000 slots there. And for Epcot, I know a lot of stuff is under construction here. Mm-hmm. But at its peak, it can probably hold around 100,000, maybe hundred and maybe 110,000 people. So let's say somewhere between 9,000 and 11,000 people at Epcot, right? Mm -hmm. So you've got 
somewhere between 30-ish and 32,000-ish people, 29,000 to 32,000 people mm-hmm. that can have reservations in a given day. At least the first week the park is open, right? Yep. Okay. Now, the other thing that, that we note is that people with Disney hotel reservations already got access to the system. So how many people are staying at Disney hotels and have already sucked up reservations? And for that, we need to look at the, the hotel's capacity. So I did a giant spreadsheet, Jim, which I will send you after this. But okay. I figured out that on July 10th and 11th and the 12th, there will be around 10,673 rooms available in Walt Disney World. And that includes not only the Disney properties, but um, we're counting in anything that's open in Disney Springs, plus Shades of Green, plus Swan and Dolphin, and Four Seasons, Bonnet Creek, like everything. Basically, every, everything that has uh, that this Disney considers, like, you know, quote, a Disney hotel for the purposes of making a reservation. Sure. Right. 10,673 rooms. Okay. So now the question is, is uh, you have two questions after that. One, how many of those rooms are actually occupied? And then how many people are in the rooms? So to figure that out, I actually called around some third-party hotels yesterday in the Disney Springs area. And the question I asked them was, okay, for July, what's your occupancy rate looking at, mm-hmm. looking like? All right. So to put this in perspective, Jim, I was at Bay Lake Tower mm-hmm. <laughs> earlier this week. I'm 99% sure that on opening night at Bay Lake Tower, they had less than 30 rooms booked out of 428. <laughs> so it was less than 10%. Definitely, it was it was definitely less than twenty percent full. I am ninety nine percent sure it was less than ten percent full. Okay, did we stand outside and count lit rooms? What did we do? Our, you know, well, so a couple of things. One, mm-hmm. I uh, uh, I counted the number of cars in the parking lot, mm-hmm. and there were less than three dozen. Okay, and that includes the people that parked there to work there. <laughs> so not and and also to like walking around. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll hear on the Bandcamp exclusive show that at one point I'm actually the only Laurel and I are the only two people in the contemporary other than cast members. Mm-hmm. So that's that gives me some hint. Um, okay. okay, but let's say okay, ten thousand six hundred, ten thousand seven hundred rooms. Let's say okay. Mm-hmm. So I called I called the hotels in, in some hotels in Disney Springs, and I said, okay, when the parks reopen, what are you guys looking at for capacity? And amazingly enough, they said that they're somewhere between 60 and 70% full. Hmm. When the, and that's way better than I thought. If you would have told me 25% or yeah. 50%, I would have been like, okay, 50%, that's great. Mm-hmm. But some of them are above 70% full. Okay. And that means the Disney hotels mm-hmm. are probably more than that. Because as we all know, the Disney hotel numbers include DVC, and those are typically 95% full. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. So- Let's just say for kicks, 80% of the Disney rooms are occupied of that 10,600. How many people are you going to put in a room? Let's say two and a half. The most common group size in Walt Disney World is two, followed by uh, three and then four and then one. So that means on opening day, there's around 21,300 people who have hotel reservations in Walt Disney World. And there are 15,000 available slots. <laughs> so that means that most of the people on the first day are going to the Magic Kingdom and the Animal Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Those haven't sold out yet, but I think they're very, very close. Mm-hmm. I think, by the way, most of them are going to the Magic Kingdom on that first day. I think everyone's going to the Animal Kingdom on the second day. And the reason for that is on the second day, on July 12th, Animal Kingdom is already sold out. So the question, so the question we have to ask is, let's say there's around 20,000 hotel guests in Walt Disney World. Of those 20,000 hotel guests... Do 6,000 of them want to go to the Animal Kingdom as the only other park that's open after they go to the Magic Kingdom? And I think the answer to that is yes. Yeah. Is it plausible that 6,000 out of 20,000 people 
will pick the animal kingdom as their second day, second park day. Yeah, totally believe that. And then, of course, there's some spillover on the third day, right? On, on July 13th, the people who couldn't get on on July 12th are going on the 13th. Those mm-hmm. people who couldn't get on on the 13th are going in on the 14th, right? Yeah, and by sense. the way, on July 13th, we get some more hotel openings um, in the Walt Disney World area. That actually boosts the number of open hotel rooms to a little over 11,000. And then it goes to 11,300, almost 11,400 on July 15th. And it goes to 11,600 on July 16th. And so... When by the time Epcot and the studios open on July 15th, you've got just under right around 23,000 people who can make reservations. So the question is, is when the studios opens for the first time on July 15th, do 6,000 of the 23,000 people who could have got reservations, do they want to go to the studios? 6,000 out of 23,000? I I think the answer is yes. Uh The math all seems solid. Given the classic... Visitor patterns. So Yeah, right, exactly. So everyone's going to the Magic Kingdom on the first day. People are going to the Animal Kingdom on the second day. People who can't make it to the Animal Kingdom on this, on July 12th go on the 13th or 14th. And the same thing is true for the studios, right? Mm-hmm. If you couldn't get it on the 15th, you tried for the 16th, then it filled up. Then you tried for the 17th, and it filled up. Then you tried for the 18th, and it filled up. So it's possible that annual pass holders and those with dated tickets may not see availability for those parks on those days. It could be that all of the slots are already gone. The other thing is that would make sense from a Disney business perspective because you want people to stay on site. You make more money that way. We all know that Disney gives preference to people who stay on site. This could be one of those things. You're definitely not wrong there. The annual pass holder, it's a, it's a very canny group. They they know yeah. how to skin the cat, so to speak. And right. you know, they, on the other hand, Disney loves folks who are like, well, how much? Okay. I hope Disney's uh, held off some spots for annual pass holders mm-hmm. in here. But if they if they didn't, that would also not be surprising to me. So no. we'll see what happens tomorrow when the uh, when the reservation system opens up to uh, to AP holders. Okay, I anticipate a, a very interesting Twitter feed tomorrow morning. It, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be super interesting. All right, Jim, in, uh, in other news, I stayed at Bay Lake Tower. It opened on uh, Monday, June mm. 22nd, uh, as I've noted earlier in the podcast. Laurel and I stayed there. We had a nice studio. Um, so amazingly enough, Jim, my room was ready right at 11 o'clock. Like, <laughs> like housekeeping did a fantastic job. I got a, uh, I got a text from Disney right at 11 saying, hey, your room's ready. Come on over. Mm-hmm. So we drove over around noon and mm-hmm. uh, you can tell that a bunch of other people got a similar text because, you know, when you're we're driving in on World Drive from uh, to into Walt Disney World and you pass the giant sign that with Mickey Mouse that says, welcome, welcome to Walt Disney World, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen that sign. Okay. Yep. And there are highway signs as you approach this giant sign that say, don't stop, don't get out of your car, et cetera, et cetera. And what do we see, Jim? Uh, a bunch of people on social media literally standing in the middle of World Drive, like not on the side, not in the grass, in the middle of the road. I'm not making this up, taking selfies of them in front of the sign. Well. And, and I joke with Laurel, like, you know how c- the, the, the coronavirus is going to kill me? It's mm-hmm. not from acquiring the disease. Mm-hmm. It's because when, I'm in, when I was in New York, I got used to jaywalking everywhere, like across <laughs> major roads, because there was no traffic. Like, mm-hmm. I would just literally walk, on, walk into Broadway, because mm-hmm. what are the odds of the cars coming? None. Yep. And what's going to kill me is when traffic actually returns, I'm just going to step into the path of an oncoming truck. Yeah. That's what's going to kill me, right? Same thing here, right? Mm-hmm. The coronavirus is not going to kill these people who are trying to take selfies. It's the cars that are going to mm-hmm. kill them. Anyway, uh, so I'm driving in. One thing I did notice, uh, remember on World Drive, you used to have that back entrance into the studios. 
where you'd go under the the tunnel and it was sort of like the for a while it was an employee entrance mm-hmm. and then it was the back entrance so that's all completely gone now and in mm-hmm. its place they've erected a giant earthen berm to completely cover the back of the, the galactic star cruiser hotel you can't see any of that now from world drive and that's new remember there was initially given you know what bob jpeg said about that stop on 900 million dollars worth of construction there was you know okay so what does that mean about galactic star cruiser and the answer is going forward yeah definitely moving forward in fact mm-hmm. they were just finishing up touching up some of the earth moving on the uh, earth and berm uh, over the weekend last okay. weekend so mm-hmm. they've got you know straw down on it now and it looks like they're going to start landscaping that also uh we drove past the uh, new marriott cove mm-hmm. hotel they made a ton of progress on that. In fact, they've been working on that, I think, six days a week and starting at like 6 a.m. Because mm-hmm. every time I've been driving by there, if it's even if it's very early or very, very late, those huge construction cranes are moving around giant pieces of concrete all throughout the day. Like any time of the day that I drive by, they're just moving along on that. I, uh, I can't wait to see what that looks like because it is fairly close to World Drive mm-hmm. and it's going to be the most visible of the non-Disney resorts in that area. So I'm, I'm really interested to see what they're going to do there in terms of decor. I hope they do something distinctive. Because you know how like, what, I, know, I know, when I say distinctive, I'm more thinking like giant fish on the rooftops, right? <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Is that what you're saying, Ted? Given the neighborhood, Len, it's like, look, it's a legendary chicken fish. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that was my point. You know, when yeah. Laurel and I were driving, it was like, whether you like it or not, whether you whether you find the 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 artwork on the Swan and Dolphin appealing, mm-hmm. you've got to admit it's unique and it's distinctive. Oh no, and, no doubt. And I hope that the the new Cove Hotel continues that trend where you look at it and you say, people are going to love this or people are going to hate this, but but dear God, don't be boring, mm. right? Be something, but don't be boring. So I, I hope. Okay, we'll see what happens. Anyway, so Laurel and I, Laurel and I arrive at uh, at Bay Lake Tower. We, uh, we zip through security. There's actually no line to get into, uh, through security. Hmm. We parked right up front, like literally in parking spot number two again, and, and walked in. And a couple of things that we noticed. Uh, there are signs out front now that, uh, you know, to restate the COVID warning that, you know, staying in a hotel is uh, inherently dangerous with COVID, yada, 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 et cetera. The one thing I, I was surprised at, they weren't doing temperature screenings. And I don't remember whether they said they were going to do that for hotels, but they weren't. Hmm. But okay. that being said, it was great to be in a, in a Disney hotel. You know, you walk in and the lobby smells good and everyone says hi and there's music playing in the background and it's just fabulous. It was, uh, uh, it was great to be in there. Top of the World Lounge wasn't open, but the resort gr- on the resort grounds, there were already people in the pool. Hmm. There were already people playing bocce and it, everything looked really well maintained at Bay Lake. Everything was super clean, hand sanitizers everywhere. Basically, anywhere where you could touch anything, mm-hmm. a door, an elevator, a pool chair, anywhere where you could touch something, there was a hand sanitizer right nearby. And also, every single person wearing a mask all the time. In fact, the last three days that I've spent on the resort, did not see a single person without a mask at any time. So, 100% mask compliance, which is That's very, great. very good. That's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was good. So then Laurel and I walked over to the uh, to the Contemporary to see what was going on. We're going to grab some lunch because, you know, there's no restaurants in, mm-hmm. uh, in Bay Lake Tower. So we, uh, we walked across the bridge between the Bay Lake and the Contemporary. And the first thing we noticed actually was, have you seen the new color scheme of the Cinderella Castle? 
Yeah, I've been getting a lot of people reaching out about it because, you know, this is the first chance they've had to view it up close. And yeah. it, it's pretty dramatic. It's very gold. Mm-hmm. So if if you if you like the light gray scheme, color scheme from before, mm-hmm. that's gone. It's a and it's a it's a deep gold. I wouldn't call it rose gold. Mm-hmm. It's a deep gold and the turrets on the castle are a a bright blue and it it pops really well against the gold. The interesting thing about it was, if I can jump ahead chronologically, mm-hmm. at night when Disney you know throws different colored lights on the castle. Mm-hmm. When the castle was light gray, you could throw a pink, a purple, an orange, a green, a blue on the castle, and it looks like those colors, mm-hmm. right? Because it's basically it's the light gray background almost functioned as a white sheet, mm-hmm. right? But now with the deeper shade of gold on there, it gives the colors different hues at night, and it's it's different. I'm not saying it's it's good or bad, mm-hmm. but it looks different, and I think different in this case is good. The other thing that I noticed, and I, I, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but at night when we were looking out from, from our room at Bay Lake Tower, we could see a single room with a light in it at, at the top of the castle. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's the Cinderella, if it's the Royal Suite, or if somebody just left the light on, or if it's supposed to be a beacon or a symbol or something. I took it as a beacon, as a symbol of hope. <laughs> I'm going to go with that. Okay. <laughs> no one's going to dissuade me on it. But yeah, right. I think, uh, but that was really a really nice touch. And the castle looked great too. Mm-hmm. Also, Space Mountain looked great. Anyway, so we walked across the, um, the, the walkway to the contemporary. And I got to say, it looked super clear. Like you could, you could probably operate Mm-hmm. over at the outer rim if you needed to because <laughs> it was that clean. The carpet was immaculate. The colors were bright. There are, just like in every other store, so we we walked past um, BVG, the Buena Vista Gifts, the Ink and Paint Place, and then uh, Fantasia Gifts. And there are signs on the carpet telling you where to stand to go in. And also, there's one way in, one way out. So you've seen supermarkets where mm-hmm. each aisle is, an, is a one way in, one way out, right? They're basically one-way streets. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the shopping, but all of the merchandise looked great. The, one of the questions I was getting, I, I got from people um, who knew I was going was, was there a layer of dust on the merchandise? And no, there was not. Everything was immaculate. Every surface was absolutely clean. All the merch looked new. It looked bright. Obviously, there's no. They're not serving food directly in the uh, in uh, BBG and, uh, anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. But but everything looked. It looked like a normal shop. And it functioned like a normal shop. There are, there's plexiglass now where you go to make payments. And obviously, they're encouraging contactless payment. But mm-hmm. the regular shopping experience was there. I will say the one thing that they uh, that we saw, the one set of signs that we saw was asking you not to pick up stuff unless you were seriously considering buying it. Right? So, don't, don't pick up a pair of Mickey ears mm-hmm. just to try them on, right? Unless you're actually considering buying them. Things like that. Okay. Interesting. So we, uh, we went over to a Contempo Cafe to eat, and this is all mobile order now. So mm-hmm. you, there's a little QR code where you scan the menu, you pay for it all right there, and then you walk to your uh, table. All of the tables are spread out. And in fact, every other table is marked as not being available to sit at. So, you, um, so everyone is socially distant. If you need to refill a fountain soda, they basically give you another cup for it. So they're not, you're not refilling your own cup. There are no more refillable mugs, I believe right now, but that, that worked super fabulous. When it's uh, when the app tells you your food is ready, you walk in, a, in one direction 
to pick up your food at a pickup station. These are basically two card tables that they've got set up against one wall of Contempo Cafe. So you're either in line one or line two. Mm-hmm. Social distancing measures make sure that you're not crowding around the table. You pick up your food. All of the food is prepackaged in boxes with lids. So no food is ever exposed to the air. And then it's all packaged in a giant shopping bag. So it's it's almost like you're getting it to go. Mm-hmm. Then you take it to your table, you unpack everything, you eat, uh, and then you throw it away. Also, Jim, and I know our, our listeners are the kind of people that will appreciate this. There are new plastic fork dispensers at the Contemporary. <laughs> I was so excited by this. <laughs> yeah, it's part of the tour of your walk around of Bay Lake Tower and yeah. uh, the Contemporary. You were talking about how previous knife, fork, spoon dispensers, you tended to get multiples, not deliberately, but you know, just the way the things were built. And, but this is yeah. new precision geared. It is. So imagine mm. where the handle meets the end, like the, the round part of the spoon. Imagine where the handle meets that. Or you know, for a fork, where the, the stem of the fork meets the tines, right? Mm. At that point, they've got two little triangles sticking out of like the neck Mm-hmm. of the of the cutlery and that's the thing that um this new gear system in the utensil dispenser is is operating on so it's um it looks like little uh they're triangles right but l- if you liken them to like the bolts on frankenstein's monster's head it's like that and i think that's what the, that's what the the new system is grabbing to dispense it's much more accurate mm-hmm. i was i was super excited at this okay. so the I- so the food was great and i'm going to talk a little bit here about the food mm-hmm. guys if you like food at Walt Disney World, this is absolutely the best time to go to Walt Disney World. And here's why. And I'm going to do a little quick aside here. Jim, have you seen the uh, the Netflix series, The Great, about Catherine the Great? Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's a, it's a story about uh, Catherine the Great in Russia. But there's a lot of food mm-hmm. in this uh, throughout the 10 episodes of this. And... You realize the, that, you know, if you were a king uh, or if you were royalty in, in Russia, or even if you're the Queen of England now, there's an entire kitchen and an entire staff of people who are dedicated to making you one meal a day or three meals a day perfectly, mm-hmm. right? And that's their entire job. You've, you've got multiple chefs, multiple people working behind the scenes in with million dollars of kitchen equipment just to make you lunch perfectly, and that's exactly what's happening in Walt Disney World right now. Let me t- tell you the story. So the Contempo Cafe lunch I had was fabulous. Laurel and I were the only two people in the Contempo Cafe. I had a salad. She had a salad. But the next night, we went to dinner at the Wave. Mm-hmm. And Laurel had a, a Zoom call she had to do. I, so I went by myself. And there were three people in the Wave. So I ordered this chicken soup dish with, uh, with avocado. And it came out and it was exquisite. But I ordered this pork entree for dinner. So it was um, cheddar cheese grits with pork tenderloin in a uh, like a plum glaze with broccolini. And it came out and it was $26, Jim. And it was the, one of the best meals I've had in Walt Disney World in years. Everything was cooked perfectly, super hot. It didn't sit under a heat lamp you know, for 10 minutes while my server had to go service other tables, right? And you can tell behind the scenes, I guarantee you behind the scenes, there was one chef who did nothing but work on that plate of food for me. And that's all they did for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever it took to cook. Because there was no one else to work. There was no one else to 
ordering food, right? So, so right now you've got a bunch of highly trained chefs and million dollars of kitchen equipment all making you your particular meal in Walt Disney World. And, and that never happens. Such a shame that Bippity Bobbity Boutique is closed now because it can you know, imagine it, my hair, right? That it could move a lot of Catherine the Great dresses, but no, but the food, the food is incredible. Like the, for breakfast at the wave earlier that day, mm-hmm. I had an omelet and I, and, and I told the waiter, I, I said, you know, put whatever you want in it, like chef's choice. I, mm-hmm. I don't care. Whatever looks good to the chef. And mm-hmm. so I got a little bit of everything and it was, it was perfectly done. And it was because he didn't have anything else to do but make the perfect omelet. So what it tells me is, mm-hmm. I mean, we've, had, we've all had uneven meals at Walt mm-hmm. Disney World. But to be a chef in Walt Disney World, you've got to be really good. Like, I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's a, the worst counter service. I don't care if it's Victorian Alberts, right? You've got to be very good at what you do to be a lead chef in Walt Disney World. And it shows you what these people can do when they've got the time to focus individually on dishes. Like they're so far above average. Like I, I could never make a meal as good as I had that night at the wave. It just, it's just out of my, I, I don't have that capability, mm-hmm. but, but, but this, whoever the chef was did it. And it was, it was amazing. And that's what I'm saying. Like for like the next month, if you're going to Walt Disney world or like, you know, for the month after it opens, if you go to Walt Disney world, Oh my God, sit, go to a restaurant and sit down and eat because the chances are, you're going to get more attention from the chef and from the waitstaff than you will ever get again. And so I was, last night I was at uh, Grand Floridian Cafe and I had some of the best fried chicken I've ever had. And I was, so I was joking with, uh, with the, our, our waiter and the, and the chef afterwards. I'm like, look, I love the attention. This fried chicken, the crust on it was like plaster, but a tasty plaster, right? Like, mm-hmm. like the best tasting plaster you could put on it. And the mashed potatoes that with it went with it were exquisite. And the spinach was just a hint of vinegar in it so that it all went together really well. Really well. And I love the fact that Disney's paying a chef to make my own food individually, but I hope soon that we're back to a thousand covers a day at every restaurant because this is this is not sustainable. Like, look, I love this once, and I'm going to talk about it forever. I mm-hmm. hope to God we never see it again. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, no. Speaking of which, can you talk about being you and Laurel are the only people in the lobby at the Grand Floridian? And Twice. how is yeah? And how is that not like being in the Omega Man? Don't don't you expect the vampire people to come running out of the corridor after you? Or you know, it was funny. So we uh, we went to the Grand Floridian Monday night just to walk mm-hmm. around, and yep. uh, you we were in the Grand Floridian main building where the lobby is. But keep in mind, it's not open. Mm-hmm. Everybody's over at Grand Floridian Villas. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, I have a great story about a chocolate decoration mm-hmm. in the Bandcamp exclusive for Grand Floridian. You've got to listen to it because okay. they did a chocolate sculpture and I didn't realize it was chocolate mm-hmm. until I went in and read. And I, again, school, school girl squeals of delight when I realized it. got to listen to it. Bandcamp exclusive. Okay. okay. So we're over in the lobby. We, you know, walked around um, the Grand Flow. And again, everything is immaculate, like mm-hmm. pools ready to go, grounds, the lawns are mowed and it looks like you could, it looks like carpet. I mean, it's that good. The fl- the plants are flowering. It mm-hmm. smells good. The background music is going, you know, it's, it's all there. Mm-hmm. And we walk into the lobby and all you can see are the people behind the desk and they're talking amongst themselves, but mm-hmm. they're doing so at a, you know, discreet low volume. Mm-hmm. So we walk into the lobby and there's no one else there. And 
the first thing I want to do, obviously, is sit in every seat. <laughs> In the, in the grand, I just said, I've done it. No, I want to make snow angels in the carpet because when are you going to get the chance to do that, right? Mm-hmm. But but you're right. After about thirty seconds, it's like, okay, that was fun, but this feels strange. Mm-hmm. So we uh, we walked around upstairs, and um, one of the stores was open. The gift shop was open, but like um, Basin wasn't open. None of the other mm-hmm. stores were open. Citrico's obviously not open. Victorian Albert's not open. We did walk get to walk around the mm. restaurants a little bit, but yeah, it was, Oh, uh, but Enchanted Rose was open actually. So oh, okay. the only things open at the Grand Floridian were the bar and the merch, okay. which I guess some things never change with Disney. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. And the bar was actually doing quite a, quite a business. I think like literally everyone, everyone that could have been in the Grand Floridian was in the bar. Mm-hmm. Social distancing though, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, it was good. So we uh, did that. Then we walked over to the Poly for a little bit. Uh, again, we got a Bandcamp exclusive show on that. Mm-hmm. I'm actually staying at the Poly next week, uh, Monday and Tuesday, and then following it up with a Fourth of July extravaganza at the Wilderness Lodge Copper Creek Cabins. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh, we'll record more shows for Bandcamp exclusives uh, on that. Mm-hmm. But that was it. So overall, I mean, it was great to be back on property. It was great to be in a Disney hotel. It was great to see the cast members. Fabulous to be in a themed environment. I was so close to the Magic Kingdom that I don't know if I could have beaten all the security guards in a foot race to Space Mountain. It was like 50-50. And I, I thought about doing it, then I didn't. Oh, by the way, when I was uh, when I was walking around Bay Lake, you know the uh, the bus stop area at the Magic Kingdom, right? Yep. That was completely filled with maintenance trucks. So it looks like they've got – if you need to do work on the Magic Kingdom – they're driving you in, parking at the bus stop, so you've got you know access to your tools or whatever, and then everyone is going into the Magic Kingdom. But that was completely filled from first light, like you know six a.m. until until it got dusk. So like you know it's getting dusk uh, dusky around eight or nine p.m. Mm-hmm. right now. But you know fifteen hours a day, people are in the Magic Kingdom getting it ready for July eleventh, and I think it, no doubt it's going to be absolutely ready. Also, in even in the restaurants that weren't open mm-hmm. in the resorts, they already had all the social distancing stuff done. So for Narcusis, for example, over at the Grand Floridian, it's not open. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be open for a while. But they've already got the social distancing decals up. They've already got the plexiglass in place. And they've already got the tables spread apart so that everyone maintains at least six feet of distance between them. So I think, I think it's ready, Jim. I think it's, we'll be ready to go July 11th. Okay, that's great news. Other thing I wanted to ask you is this. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as you're, imagine you're leaving the contemporary. So you're pulling out of the contemporary, you're making a left, going back onto World Drive. Mm-hmm. The Walt Disney World, or sorry, the Magic Kingdom bus stop is on your right. And then there's a little piece of vacant land right before you go under the bridge. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that little piece of vacant land has a ton of construction material on it. Piles and piles of dirt. Looks like they've got uh, concrete slabs for something. I mean, it's it's not dirt that they're just moving around there. Something's going on there. Do you know what it is? If we're talking about the space, I think we're talking about, there are a couple of staging areas that were set up. You have to understand that with reflections, you know, the project that was being built, right. especially with the construction techniques that are used these days, it's like, okay, you know, you first do, you know, the equivalent of site prep, and then you do, you know, your conduit, your electrical, your plumbing, that sort of thing. And now, especially with some of the construction techniques that are used, you know, it's like 
chess. You move pieces around the board. And this is where prior to Reflections kind of got a, a blinking yellow on that right now. Oh, on, uh, on Reflections itself? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's delayed. Yeah. By the way, from, from Bay Lake <laughs> mm-hmm. and from the Contemporary, you can see where they've cleared out land yeah. for Reflections. So even if they delay moving forward with Reflections until the economy gets better, they've got to do something there because you can see the sort of you can see the cleared earth mm-hmm. and the construction material that they've got there. It's not, it's not bad show, but it's not great show mm-hmm. from where we were in the contemporary. You can actually look at aerial views of Walt Disney World Seven Seas Lagoon from the seventies and well into the eighties, and that weird, exactly square peninsula where the Asian, you know, resort was going right. to be built. Just yeah. sat there, you know, that, so it may look like bad show to you, but it's just sort of like, well, it's available real estate and maybe for some time. So, all right. If I can, if I can make a request to one of our listeners, uh, bio reconstruct, yep. uh, bio, man, the next time you're, uh, you're over by the magic kingdom, if you can get a couple of photos of what's going on over at reflections mm-hmm. and what's going over, what's going on over at the magic kingdom bus stop. Yep. I would really, really appreciate it, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks. I appreciate it. All right, Jim, uh, that's it for the news. Uh, don't forget, folks, every uh, Friday night, we do virtual movie night at 8 p.m. Eastern on Touring Plans, where the movie is related to a Disney or Universal theme park ride. Log on to the chat feature at touringplans.com or on Twitter, use the hashtag Liner Movie Night, and we'll make goofy comments about the movie as it plays. And be sure to follow Touring Plans on Twitter to vote for each week's film. Jim, speaking of the Grand Floridian, when we come back from our break, let's finish up the history of the Walt Disney World Pavilion. We had started a couple weeks ago a story about how Disney's fairy tale weddings had started. And uh, when we had left off, uh, Michael Eisner was now considering this uh, something with weddings, right? We, we, we knew that, uh, that theme park fans had been doing rogue weddings mm-hmm. in the parks for a while. And Disney had now caught on to this. And it started offering their own wedding packages. And I think that's where we left the story off, right? Yeah, yeah. And the way Michael typically operates is he would notice something and then bring it back to the company and ask the folks in strategic planning to do some research. And what had happened is Michael was still trying to persuade Oriental Land Company to build a second gate at Tokyo Disney. Right. And one of the executives there was having a wedding and Michael flew over to take part in the ceremony and supposedly schmooze the guy. But as he was there, he was like noticing, well, look at all these people who flew into this wedding. And it, yep. yet at the reception, Michael's counting heads and working the math about. <laughs> He's doing what Michael Eisner does, right? Nobody, yeah. nobody, nobody here is surprised. Yeah. So anyway, he goes back to Burbank and he, he calls Strategic Planning and says, hey, go check out Destination Weddings. And remember, the, Strategic Planning, they're the guys who said yes to the Disney store and no to the Disney airline. I mean, you know, just or the right. daycare center, you know, that sort of thing. And they come back and say, yeah, there's money there. And we certainly do get, you know, a number of folks calling the resort asking if we can, you know, do weddings. And it's just like, Disney World's attitude at this point is like, well, weddings, no. Honeymoon, yes. You know, we're happy to have you come here for your honeymoon, but we don't do weddings. And But it's just like, let's do a test program. And it's like, okay. Yeah. So 1991, at this point, it's like they just tell the operators, you get a call about a wedding, send it to this office, which they set up at the uh, the SunTrust building. It's, it's, oh, it's, by, uh, by Disney Springs, by the gas station. Yeah, yeah. Right, right there. So, you know, teeny tiny office. 
they do get a response, you know, a, a good, solid response. Now, mind you, right out of the gate, they're kind of crippled because it's one of these things where it's like, okay, here's the deal. No weddings in the parks. Nothing that impacts the operations of, you know, the, the theme parks. There are a cash cow. But on the other hand, look, we have gazebos all over property. We have courtyards. We have lawns. By the spring of 1992, they've already done 200 weddings. And so they officially launch fairytale weddings at that point. And okay. they buy a couple of discreet ads in bridal magazines just to yeah. sort of you know, put the, officially put the word out there. And it explodes. You know, I mean, it's just by the time 1994 rolls around, before September of that year, they've already had more than a thousand ceremonies on property line. Holy cow. So a thousand, wait, so a thousand ceremonies mm -hmm. in between 1992 and 1990, that's like almost one a day. That then starts to become the challenge. One a day? Well, actually, when the the Disney Wedding Pavilion finally got, you know, they broke ground in 94 and it, would, it opened in 95, they got to the point where they were doing six weddings a day inside of this thing. I remember talking with a, a vet and said, well, what was your toughest day? And it's like, oh, geez, that's Valentine's Day. And there was one year where we literally had 14 weddings on property that day. And we just, oh, you, yeah. know, you know, between the six that were being held in the wedding pavilion and the eight that were being held in different venues. Uh, speaking of the venues, though, starting in uh, 1994, given, the, again, those thousand weddings that had happened before September of that year, it's like the parks were like, okay, all right. Just as a test, let's do some in park weddings. Now, mind you, oh, just just as a, te a test to see to see how big the truck is that we need to move the money <laughs> we're going to make. Like, do we go with the extended cab Silverado, <laughs> or do we actually move up into a Mack truck? Right? Yeah. Like, each park had its own peculiarities about this. Like, for example, Epcot was very insistent that I know that people want to have you know weddings at at World Showcase. But we can't make, you know, we have to get the park ready. So you can have Canada, you can have the United Kingdom, and you can have the American Adventure. But the other ones are off limits. Also, you have to be able to stage these weddings, get them completed and cleaned out before we open World Showcase every morning. Yeah, right? so it's a 7 a.m. or an 8 a.m. wedding. There you so go. Can be done by 11. So a couple of questions here. Number one, have you ever have you ever been to a wedding in Epcot? I have not. I have, however, in the research, seen photos of, of virtually now every international pavilion does its version of a wedding. In fact, you know, where's, uh, where's Morocco's? Is it in that little square? Well, yeah. It's in fact what they they typically do is they set up the chairs facing away from that fountain into the interior. Right. Yeah. So the bride gets to make her entrance coming oh, in from from the sides. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's perfect. Okay. I would totally use that as a uh, as a wedding uh, site. I think that's that's actually I think my legit favorite spot in any Disney theme park is that little place in Morocco. I, I just oh. love the design of it. That's all those actual artisans who came over from Morocco who did all that amazing tile work. What about in like Germany? Where do you, where's the spot in Germany? Germany, typically what they will do is they stage it in front of the clock tower, uh, oh, you know, they're facing right, yeah. there. And the interesting thing is once the ceremony is over, everybody shuffles into the beer garden and has, you know, the celebratory breakfast. And they can typically clear everybody out in time for the first, you know, first bratwurst of lunch can drop in time. Speaking of which, Jim, did you see that uh, Beer Garden is going to be uh, all-you-can-eat family style when the oh. park reopens and oh. you're, you're not going to have to sit with other families? Okay. And my, and my question here, Jim, is 
where was this option on the dining plan before this? <laughs> because I would have bought that. Mm, like, that sounds delightful to me. Anyway. What about Future World? What about Future World? Well, Future World, actually enough, what they initially offered was the uh, United Technologies VIP Lounge. (laughs) The C's? Yeah. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. One of the things about a Disney wedding is you can pay to have a character appear at that wedding. Mickey and Minnie can appear at your reception, but they can't be part of your wedding party. Right. They can come in, you know, afterwards, like, oh, congratulations, you know. But, yeah, but it's the, the same that's, thing in, in Vegas. Like, Elvis can be there, but he can't be part of the wedding, right? It's See, it's now. Just, it, these, we, don't, we don't make up the rules, Jim. We just follow them. You just destroyed my dream, Lynn. I'm just so. Have I ever, have I ever told him of the story on the show of my sister's wedding with Elvis in, uh, not, she didn't get married to Elvis, but Elvis was at her wedding in Vegas? No. The okay. sing- one of the best weddings I've ever – okay, little little side note here. One mm-hmm. of the best weddings I've ever attended was my mm-hmm. uh, younger sister Christina's wedding in Las Vegas. She got married at the Little White Chapel, mm-hmm. um, and Elvis was there. And yep. to be – remember earlier in the show, we talked about how good you have to be mm-hmm. to be a, a, a chef in Walt Disney World. Like, you have to be – you have to have extraordinary skill. And it's the same thing with Elvis's in Las Vegas. If you're a good Elvis in Las Vegas, you are – among the you know the top one percent of the one percent mm-hmm. of Elvis impersonators in Las Vegas to make a living at it, you have to be that good. So Elvis shows up completely in character, and we're like, and he looks like Elvis. I mean, like ten seconds in, I have suspended my disbelief, and he is actually Elvis, right? Mm-hmm. So he he fawns over my mother who you know, who loved Elvis, mm-hmm. and just he walks, he says hello to everyone, and it's a small wedding party, but he, we talk to him, and then. He walks each of us down the aisle to take our places for the ceremony. And I turn to him as, as he's walking me down. He's got me, my arm, like he's escorting me, like I'm a, like he's the prince and I'm his date, right? Mm-hmm. He's walking me down the aisle. And I look at him, I'm like, Elvis, man, I always knew you were still alive. Mm-hmm. And he said, he turned to me and he said, let me tell you something, little buddy. You spend a lot of time on an alien spaceship. You learn something about yourself. And the, the, those are the most true words I think anyone has ever spoken to me. And then he, when it was done, he got in his 57 Cadillac convertible and mm. drove off into the sunset of Las Vegas. Just mm. the best. He stayed around for photos. He mm-hmm. sang Burn in Love. Mm-hmm. It was just incredible. Anyway, okay, back to the wedding stories. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I, at some point, we, we do have to talk about the wedding pavilion itself. Up until this point, they had been, you know, let's use this courtyard or this lawn at this hotel. And, right. you know, you had to all deal with the fact that other people were staying in the hotel. And it's like, you know, the wedding pictures are wonderful, except for that guy in his underwear standing on the balcony. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. So they conferred with the Imagineers and everyone wanted to have a wedding inside of the Magic Kingdom, which I guess we should talk about. You can do it. I've seen it. Yeah, but it's it's an inversion or at least initially of the Epcot plan, as in they didn't want you to have a wedding inside of the Magic Kingdom till after it did close for the day. For example, they'd begin staging it early in the afternoon and into the evening. Typically, the venue they chose, Len, was that uh, the Rose Garden, uh, yeah. c- you know, to the, what is it, the east of Cinderella Castle. And right. the idea was that the bride would roll up to the site in Cinderella's castle pulled by six little ponies and then yeah. stroll down the garden path. And typically the the venue where they had the ceremony was the old boat dock for the, the swan boats. Swan boats. Yeah. yeah. 
And then I've, uh, I've seen this done. I've, I've been, so I've mm-hmm. seen both a morning yep. wedding mm-hmm. and an evening wedding at the Magic Kingdom, both times when uh, one was just happened to be during a press event that I was doing mm-hmm. in the Magic Kingdom years ago. And it, we were running around the Magic Kingdom and, uh, and happened to see the wedding. And then the other one was, I don't know why I was there at night after the park had closed, mm-hmm. but there was definitely a, a, a wedding going on. And it was, here's, here's my question. The, 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 the nighttime wedding, mm-hmm. there had to be, 40, 50, 60 people. I mean, there were a lot of people at that wedding. What does that cost? Oh, back in the day, it started at $50,000. Oh, this was back in the, like, the 1990s? Yeah. You know, so it's, it's gone up since then. Oh, yeah. Researching this article, I, I, I came across a, a recent wedding that was actually held at Rope Drop in the park. In fact, this was a bride was very insistent, you know, to the effect of I want my wedding to be held in front of the tourists. I want people to see me as I come in. So they did it in one of those corrals that they built for the Fast Pass Plus program uh, <laughs> off of the yeah. hub. Off the hub, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a great idea. You yeah, can, no, you can absolutely. Okay, sure. And you have the castle right in front of you, and you know the whole world applauding. You know, in fact, I have to tell you from when uh, my ex Michelle and I got got married on Disney property, we actually got married in a, a small courtyard at the beach club, and then at the had. Beach club. That's yeah, right. The, every time I walk by the, uh, every time I'm at the beach club, and I walk by, it, I'm like, this is where Jim got married. Yeah, and then we had a reception in Ariel's. But the interesting thing is, as we were making our way from the courtyard to the restaurant, there was actually a little girl who stopped Michelle in her bridal gown and at the effect of wanted her picture taken with the character. Oh, that's nice. And that was the thing. You know, that's the other thing. You know, half the reason that these brides want to have a wedding at Disney World is they want to be a Disney princess, at least for that short period. I got to say that uh, my, my brother got married at the wedding pavilion at the Grand Floridian, and, and, and he definitely was the one who was driving the, mm-hmm. the decision to do it at Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so 50 grand, it was 50 grand back then mm-hmm. in the Magic Kingdom. And the reason why I'm asking Jim is uh, we have a listener on the show, Phil, a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. um, who is fascinated by the Disney weddings TV series, yeah, and I think is like trying to talk his wife Trish into, into you know renewing their vows or something on, mm-hmm. or maybe telling it, telling their kids that they never really got married, married, and now is the time to make it legit. So what's what's that cost now? Like fifty grand back then? What is it now? Just in the past year, they've gone to pretty much a order as you go menu. A la carte. Yeah, right, a la carte. Yeah, yeah. Because they used to have defined packages, right? They used to have different tiers. That's right? exactly. So there was like, it was you almost know. like you know, buying like the base model of a car and mm-hmm. then moving up, right? Just things that came up. But now it's a la carte, right? Yeah. And, and in fact, yeah, okay. that, that's interesting because uh, worth mentioning because in December 2016 through January 2017, the wedding pavilion actually closed for a month and they right. retooled the interior with the idea that it would, it was still elegant, but it would a touch more generic, because what they'd found is more recent brides wanted to tailor that space to their Disney dream. So you know, a theme, they, right? So yeah. Uh, so the lighting packages are now the lighting or the lighting system is vastly improved. Oh yeah, yeah. In the wedding pavilion now, they can they can do almost any color scheme you want. So if you want, you know, you know, the yellow from Beauty and the Beast, or mm-hmm. you know, Belle's blue dress. You could do that. Or if you needed you know, reds or greens or whatever, totally, totally there. Yeah. Absolutely. Once, you know, at a press event, my, my Disney handler was, a, you know, somebody who'd worked at the wedding pavilion 
for a number of years at that point. And we sat down and over several adult beverages, he had so many amazing stories about bridezillas who were, you know, just hadn't put it together that it's August and you're in Cinderella's grand glass coach waiting to make your entrance, which has no air conditioning. Right. Because there there was no air conditioning in the 19th century, therefore, or 18th century, therefore there's no air conditioning. Yeah. Or, or for that matter, the fathers of the bride who, you know, are pointing overhead at the looming thunderhead. And it's like, you have to do something about this, you know. <laughs> yeah, you have to do something about those clouds. <laughs> yes. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get on that. We retracted the dome last week. And- yeah. So now it's a global enterprise. In fact, particularly now that the TV show that you just mentioned, the Disney Fairytale Weddings on Freeform, started right. as just a series of specials was so hugely popular that it's it's now a full series. And in fact, they have been using it to showcase the new venues as they bring them in. They just oh, did. You know, it's just a giant advertising thing. Oh, you yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this, for example, is where they just introduced, if you want to get married on Pandora, you know, we can make that happen. And in fact, right. I have been told, allow two to three years for this to happen, uh, especially with the opening of the Galactic Star Cruiser Resort. But basically, just jump ahead to 2024, thereabouts. If you want to have your wedding at Black Spire Outpost, and I'd say then have your reception afterwards in Oga's Cantina, that will then be an option. <sighs> really? <laughs> However, if you want Darth Vader to come to the reception, that's $1,200 for a half hour. Jim, I would, I would pay $1,200 right now to have a drink with Darth Vader in, oh. in Black Star. Really? So, real, real quick, Jim, uh, before mm-hmm. we before we end, uh, a quick note to our listeners: if you had a Disney wedding, please write in and tell us about it because I would love to hear more. Especially if you were at a, a venue other than the uh, the wedding pavilion, I would love to hear how it went. Also, if you did it like a bandit wedding where you just got married and it wasn't officially sanctioned, mm-hmm. and I'm saying officially sanctioned here in air quotes, mm-hmm. you know, by Disney, uh, I'd love to hear about that too. What's kind of intriguing is, of course, people who get married. At you know Walt Disney World at the the wedding pavilion or at the other venues on property, they really love to do vow renewals, and so Disney has a program in place for that. But again, this is how Disney works the angles. You know, if it's a particularly significant anniversary, if it's the tenth or the twentieth, they're like. Well, you know, we actually do uh, a vow renewal package at Alani. I was just going to say that's where Laurel and I are going to do ours. Okay. Well, really? all right. When yes. did that start? Uh, well, the, again. What should I wear, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> you know I love Alani. I think it's Disney's best resort. Oh, no, no uh, doubt. No doubt. Trying to sort of spread the wealth around, but there were, oh, there were wedding the packages. perfect, like like 350 days out of the year. Yeah. The, wedding, the weather's just perfect. You could do a morning, then, then go eat, mm-hmm. and then take a nap, and then go play. Oh, my God. Yeah, and but there's also wedding packages, uh, official Disney weddings on the cruise lines. Uh, Disneyland oh, got into it. Uh, we've seen the cruise line stuff. That's you yeah. want to talk about about being super hot. Like normally, we'll um, the weddings happen super early on Castaway Key. Mm-hmm. Like when we're out running the 5K on Castaway Key, you, you're the you're the first group off at like you know 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And by the time we're running back, we've already seen you know one or two wedding parties because there are only a couple of spots. That they do it on Castaway Key, but to your point, mm-hmm. man, if you're doing if you're doing a uh, a summertime wedding in one of the Florida Keys or, or mm-hmm. in uh, in the Bahamas, mm-hmm. whoo, it's warm. I mean, it gets warm really, really fast yeah, there. So and yeah, you, you gotta. <laughs> 
It's one of those moments where it's like, maybe the giant theme dress wasn't a good idea. But. Yeah, that's a, that's that's a lot. Anyway, but but great stories, Jim. I mean, again, our listeners, if you guys got married in Walt Disney World, whether officially or unofficially, uh, send us uh, send us an email. Tell us uh, all about the details. Okay. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Jim, great job on the show. Please head on over to DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's regular show, Jim tells us about the rides that we were going to get for Disney's America theme park back in the 1990s. And you can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Lentesta, at TouringPlans.com. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's decorating his yacht into Santa's workshop for the annual Intracoastal Christmas Regatta, Saturday, November 28th, 2020, on Little River Inlet in beautiful Little River, South Carolina. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.